0: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Overpowering Emotions. I'm on our skill building, emotion regulation skill building series. Um, And today I'm looking at what the co-regulation supports would look like when we're helping our kiddos co-regulate, because it's going to vary depending on their age. And I've talked a lot the last couple of weeks about the importance of making sure that we are stress-free. Well, not stress-free. We're able to manage our stress. It's impossible to be stress-free. There's always going to be stressors in life, but we are able to Manage that stress and cope with that stress, right? And so we need to be able to model that, manage that so we can help our kiddos regulate their emotions because they need help. That part of their brain that's still developing that makes good judgments, controls their emotions, helps them make good decisions, guides their behavior, manages time. It's the last part of their brain to develop, right? And so they can't manage stressors the same way as us. And actually, as they get into teenage years, it's worse because we have chemicals that are released into our brain to help us cope with stress. But that exact same chemical actually makes teens more stressed. So they're even more vulnerable. And if that stress becomes too overwhelming, kids certainly can't co-regulate, right? Or the certainly can't self-regulate. That's why they need us to co-regulate with them. They're not regulating their emotions effectively and their brain is completely immune to any rational thinking or anything that we're trying to tell them to do. So that's not going to be helpful. So when our kids are stressed or if they're just emotionally dysregulated, if it's anger or fear or upset, their energy is completely depleted sort of like an empty gas tank, right? If we think of their brain needing all of these resources to help them keep their cool, when that's completely depleted, there's no nothing that they can do to regulate. It's very toxic. And that usually happens when the stress exceeds their capacity to cope, right? And they just don't have the skills to be able to do anything different. So that's why we see screaming or yelling or stomping or throwing, it all becomes behavioral because they don't have any capacity to use their words or to engage in calming down activities that we would hope for them to do. So they're going to do anything to get an adrenaline rush because their gas tank is empty. So they need an adrenaline rush just to get some of that energy back, right? So our job, first of all, is to help them manage their energy levels in the first place so that they don't become completely depleted, okay? So we have to play detective and recognize the stress. So when they're under stress, identifying that in the first place. And I think that's really helpful to differentiate between stressful behavior and misbehavior or stress behavior and misbehavior, okay? So misbehavior, it's when kids are fully aware of what they're doing, right? And they know they shouldn't be doing it, right? They It means that they have the capacity to act one way or another. Okay, so a great example with misbehavior is, I know I'm not supposed to have a cookie before dinner time, but I'm going to check. Nobody's around. I'm going to sneak into the kitchen, grab a cookie and run away. Right. So I'm calm. Usually with misbehavior, we're calm. We're looking out. We're actively making the choice and we have the capacity to, oh, mom's there to stop and not do, just be like, do, do, do. I was just heading to look out the window. Right. Uh, So that's totally within their capacity. Okay. But if it's stress behavior, they don't have any of those capacities. They don't have the option to choose anything different. They are responding in the only way they can because that gas gauge is empty. Okay. So that's why we need to help co-regulate because there is no other options. They have nothing else in their gas tank to help them make a better choice. They're not being manipulative. They're not choosing to be mean. Okay. So we got to start thinking about why is this behavior happening? Why is this behavior happening now? We often see kids, you know, hold it together all day. Guess what? If they're holding it together all day, that's using up so much brain power, so much of their energy. No wonder when they come home, they're just letting it all out because they're depleted, right? So if it's stress behavior, we got to go back upstream. I'm always talking about looking up the hill where did this behavior start from? What's going on for them? What was going on for them and why now? And and we kind of see the fallout at the end of the hill, right? That they've rolled down and it's usually this big snowball effect of the emotions. So our job is to bring down that stress to help them deescalate, bringing them back down to calmness and alertness so that we're not adding more fuel to the fire we're not trying to reassure and make them feel better it's just making sure they feel safe create that safety and that they're you know able to regulate again so that's why it's so important for us to be able to manage our own emotions right so yes definitely we got to teach our kids skills and i will be talking about how to keep Teach our kids those skills, those emotion regulation skills, one hundred percent um because they need to become more independent. They need to learn to calm themselves, right? And if they don't become dependent, they're gonna always be or independent. On, they're gonna always be dependent on us, right? So that's why we gotta focus on ourselves first so that we can make sure that we're giving them the space that they need to start being able to cope. So we really need to play detective on what's going on for the kiddo, but we gotta focus on what's going on for me. Am I being patient? Am I being warm? Am I being responsive? Am I being open, right? Am I co-regulating? That's what I've been stressing for the past couple of weeks because it's so important, okay? Because we can't be helpful, if we're not being able to self regulate, if we're just getting snappy and just, oh, you know, go to your room, that's just going to escalate. So that's our job is not to escalate the situation. We're going to keep maintain as much balance. So let's dig into the co regulation. That's what I'm talking about today. So, what does co regulation actually look like? Okay. So, again, we're essentially maintaining balance so our kids can cope effectively with whatever's stressing them out. It could be their sister who's making really annoying like different sounds. It could be um, their cookie just broke, whatever's stressing them out. We're not reassuring them. We're not trying to make them feel better. We're maintaining that balance to help our kiddos understand what's going on for them, their thoughts, their feelings, their behaviors, and being able to adjust those. And there's a few ways that we do this. So again, our kids' optimal functioning happens when we can help fill up their bucket, fill up their gas tank or their battery. I usually have actually a battery that we will look at saying, okay, when they're optimized, when their battery's fully charged, this is when they're listening, they're getting along they're able to, you know, they're happy, our relationship is good, but when it starts to dip down, you know, they're at 75%, 50%, 25%, this is what we start seeing behaviorally or emotionally. So we want to see as much as we can filling up that bucket for self-regulation, because if their cup isn't full, if their battery isn't filled, that's going to affect their emotional, cognitive, behavioral outcomes, everything that we see. And I've talked about this before, where we can use our mirror neurons, right, to affect what's happening in their brain. Sort of like when you see someone yawn, you know, we we start, It's it's kind of contagious, right? So our words, our facial expressions, even our hand gestures, it all influences children. So if we're going like this, Right away, what's wrong, right? And they're already feeling defensive versus, hey, kiddo, right? Very different. So when we show our anger, kids are going to feel anger. When we show calm, kids are going to feel calm. So we're helpful in this co-regulation process when we're showing our own vulnerability, certainly. We're modeling our own coping, certainly, like I talked about last time. We need to be able to show that, but that's okay. We're using our words to talk about vulnerability. If we're stressed and we're like, I'm fine, go to your room. Okay, so maybe we're showing that we're stressed, right? But we're not really being very effective. So using our words to show our vulnerability and then modeling how we're coping. That's all really important. I've already talked about it. If you haven't checked out those previous uh, episodes, definitely do so. But we're also focusing on our connection with our kids. That's a major, major priority. So maintaining balance and connection. So that's why we have to really maintain that nurturing stance to help them respond in helpful ways. We also need to model flexibility, okay? We always get into these power struggles because you're right, no, you're wrong. I'm right, no, you're wrong, red blue, red, blue, red, blue, right? We gotta be flexibility. Oh, you see red. Okay, that's really interesting. Let me hear more, <laughs> right? So we're being able to model all of those things. So let's get into some of these effective co-regulation supports look like for kiddos of different ages. We always need to remember at any age, effective co-regulation involves scaffolding support. So we are you know, making sure we're giving the co-regulation supports that they need to be successful. And as they get older, so if we think of their battery or or cup, I do kind of like, oh, I don't have my water bottle with me today. Normally, I would have my water bottle. So if you think of a water bottle, they need to have that full water bottle completely filled to be able to optimally co-regulate their their emotions. When they're babies, it's empty. They have no capacity. There's no skills, no capacity. And so parents have to fill in that water bottle from the top. So parents are always addressing babies' needs. Okay. Um, as they get older, they're gonna start building that capacity. But whatever's still there, that space that's still there to the top, we have to fill in the rest. And even at teenage years, even at mid-20s, even maybe closer to 30s, there's still gonna be some pieces that we need to help them co-regulate with. Okay, but we're gonna scaffold that support. So as babies, we're filling the whole thing, but as they get older, there won't be so much. And so we're just making sure what is it that they need. So that they can be successful. So we're going to help them build the skills. So, you know, perhaps we start off as their wheelchair. Once they get the skills and the strength to stand, then we're going to be their crutches, for example, right? Then we can be the one hand support until they're walking on their own. So those are the examples of what I mean by scaffolding, how much support they need until they're independent doing these things. We're also nurturing and maintaining the emotional balance in all of our interactions. And then of course, we're coaching and modeling as well. So let's jump into this depending on the ages. So when we look at preschool age kiddos, those are three to five. Emotion regulation is really largely influenced by the child-adult relationship. That is so, so important. They learn how to regulate through direct instruction. We're explicitly teach them my 18 month old baby I taught her to say I'm frustrated and then she would go into the pantry grab one of those little mini bottles of water we bought them specifically for her she could go grab it and she wasn't actually drinking it sometimes she would you know take a sip but she would grab it and then walk around the house pacing shaking the bottle And so she knew I would always redirect her. We talked about it and redirect her. And I showed her, modeled it myself. I'm frustrated. I'd get the bottle and I'd walk around and then say, I'm ready. And then I would sit down and talk, right? So I modeled that with her. I taught her that. So she was at 18 months. She could say, I'm frustrated. However, she could at 18 months, grab that bottle and walk around. And then she would sit down and say, I'm ready. Right. And so that's what we can do. Modeling is so critical at that point. So, right up to preschool years, right up until five, um, where we're showing them explicitly teaching, but we're also prompting them as needed, right? Oh, water. I could see her getting mad. Oh, pantry, water. Right. And she's like, oh, yeah. And we're going to reinforce them when they're using those strategies because they need to learn. We're going to teach their brain, hey, it's worth my while to do this strategy. It's worth my while to figure out how I can keep my cool, right? Oftentimes they... Burst into a big eruption and then we swoop in usually angrily or we're trying to teach a lesson either way we're escalating the situation that's actually very rewarding for the brain so we are reinforcing the freak out behaviors so we got to teach the brain actually it's more in my interest and it's way more reinforcing to do the skills that i need to do so that's why we're not going to engage them when they're freaking out Okay, it's just saying, "Oh man, you're upset. I'm just gonna be on the couch when you're when when you're ready, or I'll be on the front step when you're ready." So where? Uh, sorry, there was just a little drop. Hopefully, nobody heard that. So we're labeling their emotions for them as part of this, right? So in a tentative way, though, because we don't want to be putting words in their mouth. But at this age, certainly we can be doing that, right? We don't want to tell them how they're feeling or putting those words. But we can say, oh, man, that looks really frustrating, right? And I often have these little emotion cards. I'm like, oh, it looks frustrating. And they can be like, no, it's Infuriating, maybe they won't know that word at that age, but just so that we can be tentative, we're not saying it is that way, it looks that way, but they can start thinking about, yeah, it is frustrating or definitely we're going to be modeling that. But later on we can debrief too and see, you know, um, we want to be that little voice in their head, right? The little chimney cricket in their head because they're not able to do that yet everything that they do to guide their their behavior comes from external sources meaning parents tell them oh don't touch that it's hot eventually they'll start saying out loud oh don't touch that that's hot and then it's just like the Jiminy Cricket right until it starts being internalized so we're going to be modeling all of that calming that we want to see and we're going to be really guiding the self-talk and encouraging them to do the same as well right? So eventually when we're doing that process enough, they're able to do that process enough where they can identify their emotion and what they're going to do, right? So it's a lot of teaching, a lot of coaching around talking about our emotions, sitting with our emotions and problem solving the next step, if appropriate. Um, There's a lot of proactive steps. We're not waiting until they're upset to do this process. No, we're going to be, again, modeling when they're calm, but even talking every day at dinnertime, looking at the cards, oh, I'm feeling really happy, or I'm feeling really tired, and looking at the cards, being able to put those words to how we're feeling right now. We also need to teach and coach around what are the specific rules, what are the specific expectations, if you are needing to address any behaviors, right? You know, when we're looking at self-regulation at this preschool age, it's really supported through those external consequences. So good things happen like I said when I express my feelings when I can cope in effective ways good things happen it's in my worthwhile to do that so we really want to ensure that we're teaching the brain that lesson that it pays off when I can cope instead of having a complete meltdown and getting all the attention that way but when they get so dysregulated it's not like they have that choice so we got to be really careful right so even if they get so dysregulated they don't have a choice it goes into emotional meltdown how can we get their prefrontal cortex back online as fast as possible so we'll re enforce them, even if they've had the meltdown, the reinforcement comes later once they do eventually get back to that place where they can calm. Um, I just want to quickly talk about the role of language. If you've heard me talk before, I talk about the language at this point and why it's so important. Language is so important for all of our kiddos, but there's really specific considerations at this preschool age um, because we got to think of what's their receptive understanding of language? How much can they understand when we talk and what's their ability to express them themselves, right? So a lot of kids struggle. And even just with the word retrieval, they might know the words mad and angry, but they might not in that heat of the moment be able to get them. So we really need to be able to look at what are their skills and their executive functioning skills and their impulse control. Those are the very last parts of the brain to develop. So we got to consider all of those things. So here's an interesting thing to know like I've already kind of talked about, I just wanna get into this just to make sure you already understand this. The parent verbal skills, that's so predictive of impulse control. So I'm gonna say that again. Parental verbal skills are predictive of impulse control. So what does that mean? If you're able to express yourself, you know, saying I'm really frustrated, I had a really long day, you're able to express yourself using your words, you're going to help your children express themselves using their words. And when we do that, we're improving their impulse control. So impulsivity, right? So the more we model that, the more we teach it, the better behavioral and impulse control we're gonna see with our kids. But if you don't react behaviorally and and you don't express using your words, they're gonna have more trouble. So if you're just lashing out right away, you're really reactive and you're not using your words, we know that they're gonna have more behavioral challenges. So that's why I keep focusing on managing our own stress. Being able to self-regulate, being good role models for talking about how we feel and what we're going to do about those feelings, that directly correlates with their behaviors. Language is also important for learning strategies for self-regulation, because otherwise we're just going to always overreact, overreact, overreact emotionally, behaviorally, punch kids in the face, right? So by being able to take that step back, us as adults, take because our brain hopefully should be fully developed, we take that step back. And we're going to take a curious, we're going to open up our eyes wide, what's going on here? So we can take in all the information, having a real curious, objective stance, and then talking through our feelings and why the situation is so important and why I'm so angry right now and what I'm going to do with that. So, taking that time when everyone's calm, again, explaining the rules, explaining the rationale for behaviors, the rationale for, you know, even with my 18 month old, why it's important. If you're frustrated, you go, to the pantry, and then we can talk and figure it out, right? And usually it's with, there's a broken toy or something was getting in the way. And so go and do that and come back. And then look, we can find an answer. We can find a solution. So really being able to be concrete at this age is gonna be so important. Saying be good is not helpful don't scream, definitely helpful, because all they're hearing is the don't, their brain's going to be like, oh, this is really important, scream, right, we have that ironic processing, they're going to definitely just do the opposite, they have to have a very clear understanding, right, so again, we're being that little Jiminy Cricket, that little voice of conscience in their head, because there's hasn't developed yet so we're giving them the language we are giving them that understanding and and the follow-through so they can start developing those things on their own just like Pinocchio right he wasn't a real boy he needed Jiminy Cricket to help him think through situations he still didn't listen to Jiminy Cricket right but eventually Pinocchio started to do those things for himself and once he was able to make his own decision a, a, a positive decision he became a real boy right? So no, he didn't always listen and he needed to learn some really hard consequences on his own as all children do. But somewhere along the way, that Jiminy Cricket voice internalized and it started to become his own. So again, we're helping kiddos label their emotions. That's helping them start to evaluate the situations and eventually learn how to react in helpful ways. So we are giving it. So those are for our younger kiddos. Now we get to middle childhood. Kind of six to 10 year olds, right? Here we're adding on to that. If they don't have those emotional literacy skills, we got to make sure that they're still having those. Okay, so we're still going to be their inner voice. We're still going to be modeling and labeling all of those uh, emotions and what to do with it. But here in this middle childhood, we're teaching problem solving skills as well. We're modeling conflict resolution skills. We're providing them the time and the space they need to be able to manage their emotions. We're, again, modeling, prompting, reinforcing any skills that they're developing to show them, hey, this is worth my while. We're also really encouraging more and more independence, right? So getting things done on their own. We're not just jumping in and and helping them or, or telling them what they're doing wrong. If they need some external motivation, that's okay, because that intrinsic motivation, that part of the brain is still developing. So that's important to think about. Now we see this huge area of growth and regulation between those preschool and later teen years. There's a huge growth um, there in terms of their ability to manage their behaviors and their emotions and all of those kinds of things, right? We don't see a lot of growth in this middle childhood. We really don't, but it's still a really important time to be able to develop these skills especially as they get into teenager years, they're going to need to relearn them when they get into teenager years. But this is such an important time for that skill development for those lagging skills. So at this point, it's becoming so, so important for them to start really internalizing that little Jiminy cricket, right, and reflecting on their own thinking and reflecting on their own behaviors. So they need to be recognizing their own thoughts, they need to be dif- differentiating their subjective conspiracy stories, that their trickster amygdala, that I've talked a lot about this, the amygdala sucks us into an illusion of fear or everybody hates me or everybody's gonna laugh at me and it's just spinning our wheels, right? So we gotta differentiate between those conspiracy stories and the objective facts, what's really happening. So they're starting to develop their awareness of how do I react? Um, What are my behaviors when I'm upset? How do my behaviors affect other people? They're starting to learn this a little more. They're starting to practice a little bit more flexibility, being able to control their impulses. So we're starting to see this skill development. But again, we got to make sure they're even at the point that they can identify I'm upset and can I label that and then just take a little steam off. A lot of kids at this age still can't. So we kind of got to go back to the basics and make sure they have that. Now it's at this stage too that they have to start understanding other people's perspectives, right? And seeing, oh, now I see why you don't want to play Monopoly because you only had 10 minutes to come hang out. I don't know, let's just say, right? Understanding other people's perspective and being able to respond to other people appropriately. So we're helping them with the social problem solving piece too right? So we're teaching them, we're coaching all of these skills and every child is different, but we have to make sure that we identify what the skill is that they need and how do we support them with that. Now, kiddos are becoming more and more independent with their regulation, but we are still a huge, I mean, if we look at their battery, if it goes here, here, I'll go to my chin um, and this is the top of my head, you know, they're still here. So we got to fill in this much, Right. And so, yes, they're becoming more independent with those skills, but we still need to add in all of these other pieces for the co-regulation to help them manage those difficult feelings, to help them problem-solve those social situations, you know, to be able to develop those executive skills. My dog is just scratching herself. I apologize. I usually don't have them in here for this reason, but home alone today and they're whining and so that that creates a problem um okay so we we are giving them the space to make important decisions in life that's going to be really important. They they need to learn that they need to self-monitor their emotions. They need to self-monitor their behaviors. We're that emotional coach that I often talk about. We can't do the behaviors for them, right? They need to be able to do those, but we're scaffolding and as proactively as possible, helping them build the skills that they, they need. And of course there has to be consequences to their decisions positive or negative, right? Um, The negative are usually, you know, kind of punishing things, which are natural consequences. If you scream at your friend, your friend's going to want to go home and not want to hang out with you for the next little while, right? But we're making sure there's still structure, there's boundaries, there's consequences that we're going to follow through with. Sometimes it is natural, the friend just walks off, but sometimes there's things here, that that are, are logical that we need to make sure that we're implementing. So we're helping them develop those skills, develop that independence, but also within, you know, structure and boundaries. Then we get to adolescence. So these are the tween, early teenage years, but really, so 11 to 14 is that early adolescence, but all of this that I'm going to be talking about goes right through teenage years, right to early adulthood, because that prefrontal cortex doesn't fully develop in girls until mid twenties boys, even later. Okay. And then if you've got a kiddo with ADHD or anything like that, it, it makes it even worse. So here, you know, we got a monitor and we're coaching more. So hopefully, again, they still need those skills. If they haven't developed those skills, we're building their emotional literacy, getting them to the place where they can identify how am I feeling? What am I going to do with this emotion? Am I getting sucked in with an illusion? Or is there objective facts here, right? But whether it's around getting things done, using those executive functioning skills to help them with emotion regulation, with time management, finishing homework, handing in their homework, you know, organization, prioritizing. We're collaboratively problem solving. I mean, we want to collaborate with our kids all the time, but more and more, we're giving them more voice and, and making the final decisions for themselves, right? Even around things where they're getting into trouble for, right? We're collaboratively talking with them. We're going to talk about, okay, hey, what do you think? You know, you smashed up the car. What do you think the, the consequence should be here? How are you going to fix the situation? right? So it's not us telling and demanding, we're asking questions. Through every stage, we're asking questions. That's getting them processing and thinking right? If we're just telling, telling, telling becomes wah, wah, wah in one ear and out the other. So we're still coaching healthy stress management. We definitely have to do that in the heat of the moment. They still need that time. They still need that space to be able to regulate themselves. Even if they're 22 years old, right? We can't just, you got to talk to me respectfully and you can't just walk in here and do whatever you want. You're still living under my house, my rules, none of that's going to help. We need to give them the time and the space. Okay. When they're less emotional, we're really encouraging them. We're really helping them to make their own decisions and evaluate those decisions and what the outcome should be then afterwards. Again, we still have to set important limits, right? Especially to minimize as they get into these teenage years, their brain is really all about reward seeking. And they start doing risky behaviors. So we need to reduce the reward-seeking behaviors. So that includes screens. And I've been on screens a lot. I've talked about that, just on a side note, but I won't get into it much more. Um, Definitely check out previous episodes where I talk about screens, one specifically devoted right to that. But we're still there to reduce that emotional intensity. So even though if we're looking at their bucket, right, um, they still need some space. And here it's even harder for them to co-regulate. So it's almost like we need to give even more than we had in the past and i think that's really important we ex- you know we expect them as they're getting older and now all of a sudden they're 18 we expect them to just be able to do it all themselves it just doesn't magically happen that part of the brain is still developing and there's so many other things going on in the brain we almost have to fill in that water bottle a little bit more than we did when they were 8 years old so we're still there to reduce the emotional intensity of situations that exceed their coping skills so that's what it is when they're lashing out it's because their, their batteries completely depleted, and they don't have the skills to cope or to, you know, alert, get alerted and fill up that battery again, right? They just can't regulate their emotions. And, and so they're just tangled up with these big stressors and emotions. So they need to respond um, in helpful ways. The only way they can do that is if we're responding in helpful ways. We're maintaining that emotional balance. We're not adding to that upset. That's really important. So there's a few really important considerations when we're thinking about our tweens and teens, okay, um, more than other ones. These kiddos are way more reactive to stress than younger kids and way more reactive to stress than adults. With all the changes that are happening in their brain, maybe I'll do an episode on specifically what that is, um, but for now, there are just so many changes happening in their brain. So they have this huge increase in reward sensitivity and sensation-seeking, right? So that can make some of their behaviors just so problematic. We see them making really stupid sort of impulsive decisions. If you're telling, asking your team, what were you thinking? They probably weren't, right? And so they've got this reward-seeking behavior, fast and furious, and that can result in really big emotional outbursts. It's almost like we see a regression in that emotional intelligence and, and, and their emotional reactivity. So we need to remember that their emotional brain is Far stronger than the cognitive brain, right? The cognitive brain, which is supposed to help dampen that amygdala, it's actually that amygdala, the emotional brain is far stronger, meaning this is a really bad time to try to rationally talk to our kids and tell them not to freak out. It's not a big deal. You need to talk to me respectfully. You got to follow my rules, right? We actually almost need to expect these big emotional reactions, to be honest, just because of all the changes in their brain. So, Like I said, they really do seem to regress in these years. And it's because their brain really is like a preschoolers at this point, just with all of the changes and they they have very low impulse control. And so when we have very low impulse control, because the reward seeking part of the brain is just stronger than ever, we're going to react, overreact emotionally. So we kind of got to expect that. And it does worsen when they're around friends. And you might see that I have a teenage daughter and boy is she sassy when she's with her friends she's like she transforms into this mean girl almost sometimes I I shouldn't say she's such a great kid, but I do see that difference when she's hanging with us just at home, you know with the family, and then as soon as friends come into the picture and certain friends too right? Some friends are still really lovely, but some friends do are a little bit more attitude-y. And so that's why kiddos, they're so easily influenced by peer pressure. And especially when they're starting to experiment, they're starting to try new things and the social belonging piece becomes so important in their lives. We definitely see this. So really the main thing to remember with these tweens and these early teens is that self-regulation is all out of balance. And it's even harder for them just because of all the changes in their brain. They're far more vulnerable to anxiety, to depression, to risky behaviors, self-harming behaviors than any other stage in their development. And so it's really important for us parents to remember because we often put way more pressure on them, right? We're adding to the pressure that they already have. We are losing our patience for them, right? And usually even more so than when they're eight, because we think they should be growing up. They should be getting better. You're an adult now or close to being an adult, but they just don't have the capacity. They have poor capacity even to know that, you know, certain things are a bad idea. An eight-year-old can say setting your hair on fire is a bad idea faster than a teenager. Truly, their brain is kind of wonky. So our, our support is to be there for them. I mean, our support for them is way more critical now than it ever was before right? And so when we're looking at how to cope effectively, they need us more than ever. Maybe not from when they were babies, but now is still just an important time. Those preschool years and the teenage years are the most important time. We need to be there to support them. And we still need to monitor their behaviors. We have to really try to reduce their exposure to risky situations. They cannot self-regulate on cell phones and, you know, social media. So we definitely need to maintain those boundaries. That's so important. The key to success for all ages and especially our tweens and teens is our relationship. Again, we must, must, must maintain that balance, the emotional balance. And our goal is always connection, connection. Any lessons or consequences come later. Okay, so if we ever want to have any hope in helping our kiddos learn to regulate their emotions and cope effectively, that's always the goal. Maintain emotional balance and focus on our connection. Their ability to develop that emotion regulation, it's through those positive relationships. That's why it's so important for us to be able to change our own behaviors first. Making sure that our interactions are as positive as possible, positive attention, even when they're upset. And that's why I focus so much on the systems piece, right? And then managing our own stress as parents. And if you're working with parents, helping them, that's always the first goal, right? Making sure they're in the place to do the work they need to do before we can start working on the skills for the children. So that's going to be really important because we can never then expect our kids to self-regulate and regulate their emotions if we're not. So remember, no matter what age, how we interact and how we react to our children and to stress. It's so critical for kids, for teens, for young adults. So if an adult's having a problem managing their emotion or managing their behaviors, they need to do their work first. I always tell, you know, if you're doing half the things for your kids and getting half the support for your kids, you need to do that for yourself. So it all starts with positive attention. Which is, I find, you know, something that a lot of adults actually have a hard time doing, especially when a kid's freaking out and being disrespectful and they're swearing and they're throwing stuff and ruining stuff, right? So, what do we have to do to reduce that escalation? Maybe we have to reduce demands in the moment. Maybe we have to let go of expectations in the moment to help build success from the start right from the start. If you want to truly work on this, maybe we're just reducing demand so I can be successful and co-regulating you and you can be successful coping as well. Because if they're never experiencing success, for example, managing their emotions, especially at the start, they're never going to experience success. They kind of get into this loop, fail, 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 overreact, 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 trouble, 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 punishment, punishment, right? But we need to get success. I can cope, positive, positive, relationship with my parents success success we just got to get them into that success loop right and then we can get them out of the habit loop of the big old emotional meltdowns right because that's what's happening they're just in this habit loop stress trigger meltdown stress trigger meltdown we got to get them out of that loop so that's the first step right establish the relationship that positive attention for at least two weeks For sure, for one week until next week, I'm giving you homework every week. So that's the one. How do we establish the positive relationship? If there's a big stressor, how do we focus on our connection and positive attention? I know it's so hard. But one of the first tasks I usually give parents is to maintain a neutral response, ignore any problem behaviors, and avoid giving any corrective feedback for a week. Ideally, two weeks no corrective feedback it's so hard the first 48 hours are so hard for parents but it's just to create it's not that you're gonna forever then not have any expectations for your kiddos but it's just about not giving corrective feedback for a little a little bit amount of time it's only a week or two right then you can start adding but there's a couple of things that end up happening I mean and when I say corrective feedback it's even hey bud can you just move your plate away from the edge of the table hey bud can you just you know close your blinds or turn off your light, whatever it is, right? Just let it go. Because we want to create a strong baseline from which we can start with. That's going to be really important. So when we have that baseline, we can start building skills and we can start working on parent skills as well. Like I said, it's really hard for parents, but it makes all the difference in the world because changing how we interact with our kids, it's going to help reduce the stress in the first place. And now parents can start seeing, oh, Look, everything comes out of my mouth is a nag. Like 95% of what comes out of my mouth is some sort of corrective feedback. No wonder my kid is feeling defeated and feeling like he can never do anything good enough and is always freaking out at me because I'm always nagging him. So it's huge for parents to be able to see how much corrective feedback they're giving their kiddos. And then they can start prioritizing what's the most important. You know, what's really affecting me? Yes, we'll get to the place where they turn off the lights after they leave the room, but is that the most important at this point? So we can start building that relationship so we can have a strong foundation to start building skills, which I will be getting to in future episodes. Then we can get to collaborating, you know, creating very explicit rules, creating, um, very explicit expectations based on the most important things. And then we're providing opportunities for success later on, which I will be getting into in future episodes. But I'll leave it there for today. There's lots of information to think about. In the next episodes, I'm definitely gonna be getting more into exactly how we can be helpful in our responses, how we can set up the environment for our kiddos to be successful, And then of course, into specific skills, kiddos can start doing so that they can promote their ability to self-regulate, to manage their emotions. Um, But for this week, it was really just understanding that battery. If they're freaking out, stress behavior versus misbehavior, misbehavior, they're usually not freaking out, right? It's they're kind of being sneaky. Stress behavior, they don't have the capacity. Their battery is depleted. So we need to help them build those resources, and give them the space to be able to recharge. So for this week, think about how you can be a little bit more effective in supporting the co-regulation. So thank you for joining me today. As always, if you want to deep dive into these topics with me, uh, check out my anxiety compass mastery training programs. It's good for big emotions. I know it says anxiety in the title, but it's really good for all big emotions. So definitely check that out. I've got one for professionals, one for parents. Goodbye for today. Help those anxious kiddos be bold and courageous. And I'll see you next week.